0: Well, um, I hope you guys are ready to jump in. We have been kind of working our way the last couple of weeks uh, through the book of Romans chapter 8, and uh, so if you have a Bible with you, uh, I would encourage you to flip there or turn it on on your phone, or uh, we actually have some Bibles over here on the table if somebody needs one of those. Um, We just got some new ones in, so feel free if if you're the paper type of person, um, go grab you one. Feel free to do that. We're we'll be in Romans chapter eight, if I can remember my pin number. There we go. Um, and we're gonna continue looking at this idea of what does it mean to have life in the Spirit. We've we've been kind of trucking through as as the Apostle Paul has uh, wrote this letter to uh, to a church in Rome, primarily uh, made up of, of Gentiles people who are non-Israelites, non-Jewish people. Um, in this church and he's he's wrote this letter to them um, encouraging them helping them to understand what does it mean to put their faith in Jesus what does it mean to um, completely live their lives in such a way that Jesus is above uh, everything else and um, in chapter 8 he turns his attention to what does it mean to live with the spirit of God in you Um, the Bible is is very clear that um, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, um, it's not just that um, you gain Jesus, which you do, but you also gain his spirit that lives inside of us, that guides us, that directs our life, that moves us. And so Paul, in in chapter 8, is setting up um, what it should look like to live in the spirit. Um, And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about, um, as, as Paul has mentioned, if you're in the spirit, if you have the spirit of God in you, um, that's that's an indication of what it means to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus. You have the spirit in you. And if you don't, right, he refers to that to being in the flesh, being the natural man, being being just as we're born into this world, naturally, um, he'll refer to that as living in the flesh, just living according to your your own desires and your own thoughts. Um, and so he's been kind of playing a comparison um, between these two different ways of living your life, either in the flesh or in the spirit. And so um, we're going to move into um, chapter, uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 17 today, and we're going to talk about um, what are the characteristics. What does it look like to, to be spirit-filled? Um, and Paul's going to lay out um, what I think we can see is, is four different characteristics um, in this passage for what it means to be Spirit-filled, uh, for what it looks like to to have the Spirit within us. Okay. And so before we move to the first one, though, and, and to kind of get some conversation going, because we're really big on conversation here at Bedrock Church in Franklin County. We want, we want it to not just feel like you're sitting here listening. Not that that's bad, but we also realize that we also learn... Um, through different avenues Um, one of those is is through talking and communicating Um, sometimes that helps to drive things home a little bit better for us and so I want to start out with a question um, just to kind of get the conversation started this morning and that's this Um, and and realize um, that what you say um, other people may hold this against you so (laughs) choose carefully which one you choose right but the first question that that I think will help us to kind of get started is what is the craziest thing that you've ever done what is the most like Ridiculous, radical, kind of crazy thing that you have ever done in your life. Um, so we're gonna take about a minute um, and just find a couple people that are sitting close to you and discuss that question with each other for just a minute. Like, what? All right, guys, um, we're gonna we're gonna come back together. Hopefully that um, helped you get to know the people around you a little bit better. Um, maybe. Um,
1: and, and the reason,
0: the reason I want to start with that idea of crazy, kind of crazy situation that you've been in, maybe something crazy that you've done, is I think the first thing that Paul is going to talk, talk here in, in uh, verses 12 and through 14 is he's going to talk about uh, one of the characteristics of a spirit-filled person should be radical holiness. It um, should be ra- this radical call to living holy lives, um, living differently than um, if you didn't have Christ in your life. Um, holiness is the picture of of that's how we define what who God is. He's holy. He's set apart. He's different. Um, part of His nature is is that holiness, and and we we see several places within Scripture that if we are to follow Him. Then in our lives we should have elements of holiness as well. And that doesn't mean that we're going to get it perfect every time. That doesn't mean that we're going to do it right every time, that, that we're not going to miss the mark. But that should be the goal for us in our lives is, is holiness, to live set apart and and holy and different and distinct um, from, from the common. And so um, I th- I, Paul's going to say here that, that our lives should look different. Um, look, look at verse 12 with me. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, For if if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live if you do this. Verse 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Um, I think it's important to note here that Who's Paul talking to? He says brothers, right? He's, he's talking here to people that he would say that are followers of God, that are followers of Jesus. Um, and, and that's important because what he's about to say, right? He's, 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 he's talking to the church, to those people in the church. And he says, that, um, he says that we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now, I think right here what Paul is doing is he's kind of having a thought. I don't know if you've ever had a thought somewhere, and then all of a sudden another thought jumps in your mind, and you kind of go off on that tangent. Um, I feel like that's that's kind of my life most of the time, right? I'll start thinking of or doing one thing, and then something else will get my attention. And by the end of the day, I've done like 28 things, but I never actually did the one thing that I started out to do. Some of you guys know that. Some of you guys can't stand people that do that. You're like, let me do one thing, check it off the list, let's move down to the next thing. Um, but I think Paul is thinking here, and as, as he's writing, he's like, hey, we, we shouldn't be, we, we're debtors, not to the flesh. And, and what I think... He, he was, you know, probably had in mind was to move in and say maybe, but that we should be debtors to the spirit, right? That he's, he's continuing to play off this idea, but but he never gets there because something else comes in his mind in verse 13. And he says, if we continue to live in the flesh, if we continue to to walk in the way, right? We, if we continue to live our lives um, just based around ourselves and what's best for us and what our desires are, and at the core, we're kind of sitting on that throne of our life. If we continue to live that way, it's gonna to lead to death. Right? That's one of the distinctives of being a follower of Jesus. Is we believe that if if we continue to live for ourselves and make the, our lives and everything around us just about us, it's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to an eternal separation from God. When this life is over, it's going to lead to uh, being separated from our creator, from our maker. And so I think he's as he starts to think about what does it mean to be debtors, and he's like, not to the flesh. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, verse 13, if you continue to do that, if you continue to live that way, then you're going to die. He says, but, in, but he goes on to say, but if you live by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body; you will live forever. And I think that's where this idea of radical holiness comes into play, because I think what Paul is is reminding us here is that if we continue um, to to allow our lives um, to just be live to live according to those things that that we feel like are to our benefit sometimes, or or those things that are uh, against what God has told us to do, then that's somehow gonna make our lives. better better, or we're going to make them uh, more important, or whatever it is that we think, I think when we, when we focus on that, it's going to lead us away from God. And so he's warning the people in Rome, he's warning the church in Rome, don't let your lives be lived this way, right? He said that you need to address that sin that's in the body, There's that, that word misdeeds there or the deeds of the body. Uh, that's another way of just saying sin, like those things that that pull us away from the heart of God. We've talked about that quite a bit, right? Those things in our life that that just pull us away. Those those selfish motives that pull us away from God. Um, John Piper says it this way. He says, if you are not at odds um, with sin, you are not at home with Jesus. Not because being at odds with sin make you at home with Jesus, but because being at home with Jesus makes you. At odds with sin. It's this idea that if Jesus is in you, then you're not going to want to live this selfish, inward-focused life. Um, but you're going to live your life for other people. You're going to want to live your lives to honor Christ. Um, and, and, and it just makes sense, right? I mean, think about it this way, and I feel like this is one of the questions that comes up a lot of times. If you say that you're a Christian, right, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, but yet you don't live that out in your everyday life, like, to me, that just doesn't make sense, right? It's like, why would you want to put on this title of being a follower of Jesus, but not actually do what a follower of Jesus is supposed to do? And I think that's one of the things that really confuses the world around us is when they look around and they say, look, there's this group of people who say that they're followers of Jesus. But when I actually get to know them, when I see them at work, when I see them in the world, when I see them around me, their lives look no different. Like they don't actually live out the things they say that they're all about. And I think that's the, the reminder here. I think that, that is, that's what Paul is, is trying to help us to understand is that if we're going to live by the Spirit, it's going to be radical. It's going to look different. It's going to look like we're actually doing those things that we say that we should be doing. And so Paul says that we need to put to death those deeds of the body, right? We need to, we need to kill those, those things in our life, right? Those things that lead us away from the heart of God. Um, I think one of the best quotes that I've come across uh, for this idea of, of killing those deeds of the body, those misdeeds of the body, those, those sin things in our life, um, was by an, by, by an older um, theologian named John Owen. And he said this way, he said, we either need to be, he said, we need to be killing sin or sin is going to be killing us. And I just think that's so true when you think about it, right? It's that idea that if we're not constantly focused on those things in our life that are pulling us away from the heart of God, if we're not constantly focusing on how can I kill those things in my life, right? If we don't do that, they're going to ultimately be killing us because they're going to be pulling us away from the heart of God. They're going to be leading us away. They're going to be distracting us and pulling us away from the heart of God. And I know that may sound pretty extreme and pretty radical, But I think Jesus was pretty extreme and pretty radical about this when he walked on this earth and when he talked about it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, here's what he said. He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Right? It's this idea that yeah, it may seem extreme in the moment, but look at the the, the, the long term picture of that, right? Yeah, that may mean that I'm going to miss out on some, you know, some perceived fun things while I'm here on this earth. It may mean that, you know what, I may not achieve whatever that goal is that I set for myself, or I may not be climbing that ladder or that thing in my life. And I'm, you know what? Yes, it may mean in the in the moment that I'm temporarily going through some harder things, but it's the perspective of the eternity. Right? It's a perspective that yes, I'm gonna have to miss out on some things possibly. But what what's to gain for that, right? And Jesus is like, look, if there's things that are is it gonna distract you from the eternal, right? For eternity spent with your creator, if there's things that's gonna that's gonna pull you away from that, man, just kill it. Cut it out. Just destroy it. Get it out of your life because it's not worth it. If you don't kill the flesh is what he says. If you don't kill those things that are pulling you from the heart of God, God has said that you're going to spend eternity away from Him. Right? That's that's what hell is. When we uh, a church talk about hell, that's what it is. It's it's eternity separated from our Creator. It's, it's it's spending eternity away from Him, and so we're called to put away those those things, those sin things in our body that that that, that pulls us away from God. Um, Paul talks about this as well in Galatians, in Galatians uh, six eighteen. Um, he he talks about these these, uh, these deeds in the flesh. He says, "For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap uh, will from the spirit reap eternal life." Right? It's it's that idea of those those sinful things, those things that pull us away from the heart of God. Um, and it's kind of crazy when you when you think about that, right? We think about when you got to kill something. Right when you got to kill the sin in your life, that sounds like an awful thing. Um, but one of the distinguishing marks for a believer, right, for a Christian, is is the principle that through death life comes. Right, we believe as as Christians as believers that through the death of one man, through the death of Jesus our Savior, right, comes eternal life for everyone um, that will that will accept that. Um, and so and so we we even see in the midst of this that yes momentarily, it may be hard and challenging for us to kill those things in our life, right? But they're going to reap eternal life. He says that if you do that, if you're in the Spirit, then you will live. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, right? That idea of of leading by the Spirit um, ties back with what he just said, right? Those that are led by the Spirit are those that are going to be killing sin in their lives. Those that are going to live for something greater than what's just in this world. And so that's the first mark is radical holiness. And I say radical because it's going to look kind of crazy, right? And you're going to have people in your life that's probably going to look at you and say, that's weird, man. Like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Don't you realize what you're missing out on? And to have a perspective that's more than just in this moment is going to look radical. Um, I never want to miss an opportunity to pick on the millennial generation um, because they're just so fun to pick on. Um, and because they're probably making fun of me, and I don't even realize it because I'm an old man now. Um, but I, I I see that so much in our generation today. And actually, we had a conversation with some of my, with some of my family last night. We were sitting around a, a bonfire, and we were just talking about the work ethic, um, in the millennial culture today, and how there's this idea that um, almost of entitlement that I deserve to have everything that my parents have today. Like, I've worked for, you know, 15 days at this job at Food Lion and I deserve to have a 401k, I deserve to be, you know, $20 an hour, paid vacation. I want it today. And there's not the, there's not the understanding of, of what does it mean to work hard for something and continue to work and to build and build and build for this reward, right? We, we just want it today. And so when we live our lives looking for eternity in perspective and not just for this moment, it's going to look crazy. It's going to look radical. You know, it, you, people might even look at you and be like, "Man, you're you're kind of one of those weird Jesus freak people, right?" And that's—I think that's okay. I think that's okay if our mindset is on eternity. Now, it's not okay if we're if we're doing it as a way of just kind of elevating ourselves. I don't think it's okay if we're just we're just trying to to be better, or look better than than the other person, and we're looking down on the other person. I don't think that's okay. But what I do think is okay is that if we're truly if we truly have eternity in mind. Uh, for us to look different in our lives, and so and so, you know, part of that is going to be killing sin, killing sin. You might be like, well, why? Why should we kill sin? Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Um, like killing, um, you're freaking me out a little bit. Why should we kill sin? Right? We should kill sin because it's going to kill us if we don't. Like eternally, it's going to kill us if we don't. Anybody know what this is? I'd be super impressed. If a you... machete. A machete. Okay, we call it a machete. This is actually a Kenyan sword. Okay, I got this from a buddy of mine who took a mission trip over to Kenya. And, and so um, farmers or shepherds who, who live over there, they, they have these. They make these themselves, um, and they, they put them in their little shoes, and then they wear them around. Um, because when they're out there, right, and they're, and they're guarding their sheep or whatever, and a lion comes, right, this is their first weapon of, of defense and also attack, right? And they kill, like, like in Kenya, they kill lions with this bad boy, now, I don't know about you, but, like, if I'm going to be killing a lion, I'm going to want, like, some Excalibur type of sword, you know, that I at least got, like, two feet between me and the lion, right? But these, these jokers, man, I mean, they just like, they're just, like, straight up hand-to-hand with some lion. And, and they kill them, like, day in and day out. That's just part of what they do because they want to protect their flock. They want to protect their sheep. And so they're going to kill whatever it is that's coming in there. And I think that's a good analogy sometimes for for sin and even what it looks like in first peter five eight the Bible refers to our enemy right our our deceiver the the one that wants to pull us away from the heart of God right not the i th- I think a lot of times we get this idea that oh, it's this guy in a red suit with a pointy tail like that's not what the enemy is about, right He's a lot more subtle um but it refers to him as a roaring lion who who's ready just to de- jump on us and to devour our lives. And if we're not constantly, part of the way that we stand against that is by killing that sin in our life. And if we're not standing against that, if we're just allowing ourselves to kind of go through the motions and do whatever we want to, that lion is ready to pounce on us, right? And so we've got to be ready to kill that sin in our life. And you say, well, well how do we do that, right? Because it's, it, it's one thing to acknowledge, yes, I need to kill sin in my life. It's another thing altogether how I actually do that. And I think it's really interesting the Bible's use of analogies for, for what it is that we need to do in order to kill sin in our life. Um, Paul, so the same guy who is writing here in Romans, also writes to another church that's in Ephesus. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, look what he says. He says, how do you kill, okay, so this is how do we kill sin, right? Ephesians six sixteen. he says, in all circumstances, right? He says, take up the shield of faith, um, which, which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation, and notice what he says, with the sword of the what? Of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? As you look at that list of, and we call these um, like, like spiritual, uh, you know, our armor, uh, putting on the armor of God. Uh, but as you look at that list, there's only one offensive weapon, right? Like you're not going to put on a helmet and just attack somebody with it, right? You're going to look ridiculous, Um, most of the time you're probably not going to even take a shield and use it as the offense. But the sword, right, the sword is what's referred to as the weapon, right? And so it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so if you want to know how to kill sin in your life, it's going to be staying rooted in what God has already told you in his word. Um, I think that's one of the most incredible things that that we believe as, as Christians is that we believe that God actually spoke to us and we have a record of what he said to us. And I think we take that for granted in our life. Like we look at the Bible sometimes and we're like, oh, there's that duty. There's that thing I got to do if I want to be a good Christian. Yeah, I should probably read that because people at church are going to ask me. Yeah, I should probably read this um, for my kids. I should probably read this because I want to be a good person. Do you realize we have the word of God? Like if you truly believe we have the word of God that we can have access to. And so Paul here, he's writing and saying, that's your weapon, right? That's your sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, the spirit-filled life, how do you kill sin? It's by getting into his word, right? We don't need more of our own words in our life. We get that all the time, right? Every day, I mean, you wake up and you have thoughts in your head and you're telling yourself things all the day. I don't need more of that. You know, I don't even need more of what other people tell me because I have enough of that, right? Constantly, all day, whether you're at work or you're going to the grocery store, you're hanging out with friends, like you just get inundated with what other people think. But to know what the word of God says, like that is the weapon, and so, and so when we want to know how to kill sin, we need to go to the Word of God and see what it has to say. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You notice the, the sword analogy that continues to be seen here. Piercing through the division of the soul and the spirit of joint and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right? There's something about the Word of God that, that, it, that, it, that it can cut down deep. It's one of those incredible things that when you read the Word of God and, and you're truly open your mind to what it's having to say, not only do you read the Word of God, but so many times it reads you as well. As you're sitting down, as you're reading, right? And, and we talked about this last week, but but I love the fact that when you can when you can read a passage of Scripture, maybe you've read it, maybe you've heard it several times in your life, but you read it, and it's just like it's it's different because of the situation that you're going through. It's speaking, like if you've ever been there, it, it kind of freaks you out sometimes. You'll be like reading something and you're just like, Oh my god, did God know what I'm going through? Like this is crazy, right? And then you realize that, well, his word is living and active. Like it's 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 gonna apply to my life. It's gonna be meaningful for my life. And so when we're looking at killing sin, we we look to his word because that's our source that we go to. Right? Finally in Galatians chapter three, verse five, Paul also says. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, right? It comes through hearing from the Word of God. And so the Word of God becomes our weapon when we're trying to kill sin in our lives. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a couple minutes, um, and I want us to to answer this question, okay? Okay. Um, I think we would all admit, uh, realize that there's things in our life, um, we call it sin. There's things in our lives that, that would lead us away from God, um, right? We, we all have those things, and this is, this is not a place for us to sit around, or we're not going to take time this morning to sit around and just discuss what those sins are, right? But what I, what I do think is helpful is, um, let's take a few minutes and discuss how are some ways, what are some practical ways that we can work on those things in our life? on those struggles and those temptations and those sins in our life. What are some ways that I can practically get the word of God into my life to help me fight against that? Okay. So we're going to take, we'll take a few more minutes. Um, you guys get in a couple of groups again and I want us to discuss that. What can I do to help me fight against that sin in my life? How can I use the word of God and the spirit of God to help me do that? Okay. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that, that was helpful, um, for you guys to kind of talk Through a little bit of of what are some of those practical ways that we can be um, that we can fight sin, right? And so so we said that, you know, obviously one of those, one of those is by the word of God. I think the other part that Paul is is mentioning here is what he says is being led by the Spirit, right? If we truly believe that we have the Spirit of God living in us, like that Spirit is not just gonna hang out there quietly, but it's gonna actually lead us, right? He says in um, let's see, he says in Verse 14, he says, For all of those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, right? And so so when, when when you're in that situation, when you're in that place where you're hanging out with those people, and you just get that sense, like that Spirit is just tugging at you, it's like, I need to get out of here. I need to flee. I need to run. I need to change. I need to stand up. I need to say something. Whatever it is, we need to be in tune enough with that Spirit that we're actually going to listen to the Spirit, right? Um, this idea of being led by the Spirit... Um, is is it's it's the idea of we're following where the Spirit is going, and I think a lot of times it reminds me of a of a bumper sticker I used to see on cars a lot a lot of times. It said it said God is my co-pilot. Have you guys seen that mm-hmm. bumper sticker? And I'm just like, that is uh, I don't want to say. It. That is not a good way to look at God. He is not my co-pilot, because if he's my co-pilot, he's sitting over here just kind of hanging out, doing nothing, and I'm flying the plane of my life, right? So I could be flying into a building, and he's just kind of like hanging out, right? I think what the the Bible teaches is that God should be the pilot, and maybe I get to be the co-pilot. Maybe I'm just the guy in the back who's just like, thank you, Jesus, for letting me be on the plane, right? But I think when we look at being led by the Spirit, a lot of times that we want to jump in that driver's seat still. And we're not really being led by the Spirit. It's more of just like we kind of got the Spirit. And so sometimes we'll do things just to kind of get it off our back, right? It reminds me of the old Tom and Jerry cartoon, you know, where where Tom has the little angel on one side and the the devil on the other, right? And so sometimes it's like, I'm just going to make this guy go away or whatever. So I'm just going to do a little bit just enough, right? But if the Spirit is in that driver's seat of our life, if we're being led, right, as we're, as we're getting into the Word of God and we're being led by the Spirit, we're going to be putting those things to death. And so the first mark, the first characteristic of a uh, Spirit-led person is that we should be uh, radical, radical in our holiness, in our pursuit of God. Um, the second characteristic that I think Paul points out here is that we should be fearless in our freedom, Fearless in our freedom, and and that may sound a little a little crazy to you, but but we'll get into that. Uh, look at what he says in verse fifteen. He says, he says, um, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Right? You didn't you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The Bible teaches us that that when when we are born into the world, we're we're, we're born as As slaves to our own selves, to our own desires, right? And it doesn't take a whole lot. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It doesn't take a whole lot to realize that, right? My natural bent, my natural go-to is just to do those things that that are to my benefit. Not what's best for somebody else. Definitely not what uh, would honor God in my life. But it's, what can I get out of that, right? That's my natural bent in life. Um, and, and, and you become a slave. The Bible refers to us as, as a slave to those things because we just do that by nature. We become uh, slaves to those things. But here he's saying that, that, that if you have received the Spirit, that, that you shouldn't fall back into that, right? Because that life, that way of living leads ultimately to fear. And the reason it leads to fear is because, what we just talked about, there's going to come a day. There's going to come eternity. There's going to come a point when this life is over. And when that point comes, you either know or you don't know where you're going to be. And if you don't know, that brings a lot of fear in people's lives. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to right, that have had loved ones or maybe they've gone through something and, and they've had to face the reality of what comes after this life. And, 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 and it's very different having a conversation with someone who's confident and who knows where they're going when this life is over and those that don't. right? And one of the differences is fear. And so we haven't received that fear of, of slavery. Um, and he's going to say, but we've, we've received adoption um, as, as children of God. And so we're, we're not called to be slaves, but we're going to be called to be sons, right? It's very different. See, a slave just does what his master tells him to do out of fear, right? That, that, that imagery is, that's what a slave does. He, just, he, he, he does whatever his master does, says because he's scared, right? He knows that if he doesn't, his life will be over. Right? And so it's a fear-driven way of living versus the freedom of being a son. Right, And as a son, if you have a good, loving father, yes, you do it because they're your father. And yes, at a certain point, you realize that maybe you do fear them some. I think that's okay. Um, but ultimately, I think the picture is more of a loving father who tells his son to do something that's for his own benefit. And so out of love and gratitude for the father, then I'm going to do what they've asked me to do. Right? And 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 so that that's the distinction that he's making. A slave does it out of fear, a son does it out of love. And I think where we where we see this a lot of times in our life, um, is that is for a lot of us we'll say, you know what? I trust Jesus with eternity, but I don't trust Him with other things in my life. Um, I mean, think about it for a second. Um, we were we were discussing this together as a as a team of pastors this week, and we were talking about. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, we come into a place like this, we come into church, we have a religious experience, and we'll say, you know what, I'll say a prayer, and I'm going to trust Jesus for my eternity, right? But I'm not going to trust Him in this moment, right? I'm not going to trust Him for whatever that thing is in my life that I'm struggling with, that I'm having a hard time with, that relationship, that addiction, that hang-up, that thing in our life. And it's crazy when you think about it, right? I mean, when you really sit down and think about it, right so we all know that eternity is for how long it's forever right there's there's no end like that it's one of those things i remember as a kid i would sit down and think about eternity and it just makes your head hurt right it's like it's like if you drink a slurpee too fast you know you get that brain freeze that's what happens to your head when you think about eternity because there is no end right it's it's kind of beyond our thinking and yet we look at the course of our life and we're just we're so focused on that and we're like it's it, it's like this um Ross, I'm going to unplug your guitar for a minute. Very yeah, fine. Uh, just thought about this analogy, so please bear with me for a minute, right? But imagine, okay, imagine this is the course of, of life. And imagine instead of this chord stopping, you know, behind the guitar right there, imagine that it goes out the door and around the world infinity times and just continues to go. There's no end to it, right? That's, that's kind of the picture of what life should look like. And imagine for a second that this is, this is the course that we're on this earth, right? In the grand scheme of things, this is how long we're on this earth. But then we think about about how much of our time and our attention and our focus we focus on this little part compared to eternity, right? And the crazy thing to me is that we can say, God, I trust you with all of this, with all of this. But I'm not going to trust you with this little tiny part of my life, right? If you call me to do something crazy and radical, to live holy, radical lives, to go and to do something, to be a witness for your name, to have that conversation, (laughs) to share that... I'm not gonna give you this much. I'm not gonna trust you in this, but I'm gonna trust you in all that. It's crazy. Alright, hopefully I put this in the right place. Oh will know when you start playing if I did it right. But I think that's the picture here, right? Like we we don't we don't trust God in those everyday things. We're still afraid, right? We still live like we're we're slaves, we still live like there's this fear. I mean yet we're called if we have the spirit to live not as slaves, but as those that are free, that we can trust God. And so can we trust him in those things? Are we willing to put those things on the table? Are we willing to turn those things over? You know, I once heard it said that if heaven was off the table, would Jesus still be enough to follow? I think that's a good perspective to think about, right? Um, No, we believe that heaven is on the table and that that is what's promised to believers that put their faith in Jesus. But even if it wasn't, was, would living a life following Jesus, would it still be worth it? Is Jesus enough to still follow him in our lives? Think about that for a minute, right? Because I think the answer to that question will, will answer a lot of why we don't trust him in our lives. I think a lot of times the reason we don't trust him is because we don't think that he's good enough. Honestly. I don't think that he's good enough. I don't think he's gonna come through for me. And I don't think I think this addiction, I think this this thing, I think this heart thing, I think this hurt that I've had in my life, I think it's bigger. I don't think Jesus can answer that. And so yes, while I may say that I trust him for eternity and I'm gonna, you know, get hell insurance and I'm gonna say a prayer and all of that sort of stuff and and trust him with that, I don't trust him for my immediate. What does that look like? It looks like the idea of surrender, right? when you get to a point where you're willing to lay it all down and say, Jesus, I don't know how this plays out, and I don't. this is a hard thing I'm going through, but I'm going to trust you in that. I think you're big enough to handle that, and I'm going to surrender whatever that fear, whatever that angst, whatever that worry is in my life, I'm willing to hand that over to you. I think that's what it looks like to truly live in freedom. When you realize that, yeah, you can't do it, so let him do it for you. Fearless in our freedom. Heard uh one of the one of the commentators that I was was reading, he sums up this this little part by saying this way He says, The Holy Spirit whom you have received does not produce a slavish and anxious state of mind, such as those who experience who are under the law, but he produces a feeling of, of family and close affection and reverence and confidence, and enables us out of the fullness of our heart to call God Father. I love that picture. That we shouldn't be live, we shouldn't be living captivated by fear and worry. And man, I, I got to do this thing alone, and and I don't think God can help me. I don't think God's big enough for this. But there comes a true sense of freedom when I just lay it down, right? When I can just lay it all down and trust that something greater, someone greater, has this, and I'm not having to carry it on my own. This fear is a horrible thing. We're never called to live in fear. In fact, in in Second Timothy chapter one, Paul says it this way. He says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in First, first John chapter 4, verse 18, I, I love, First John's one of my favorite books. I love how, how John writes this. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This idea of when you truly understand the source of love. John's going to say also in that same chapter that, that, The only way we know love is that God loved us first. And when we come to know the author of love, the one who we were created to love at the source, like when we come to know him, it's going to cast out, that that love is going to cast out any fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And we know that those who love God and are following him, that there's no punishment. There's no fear that's in that. So, So let us, please, let us live fearless in our freedom that we have. The second characteristic. So let's do this. Let's take a couple more minutes, and I want us to to discuss this idea of fear, and let's talk about what are those things in our lives that bring fear. What are those things that we're afraid of? What are those big things in life that cause us fear? And then how can us trusting in God help to battle against that? How can that bring freedom in those fearful things of life? Okay. We talk about. Um, so we just talked about fear and and how as a follower of Jesus that that we should be there should be a. We should be fearless in our freedom that we have. Um, and then Paul goes right into, I think the third one ties right into that, into the second one. Um, if if we're not to be fearful, right, we're supposed to be free. The third characteristic is that we should be relational with our father, right? Because that freedom is going to come out from realize what he's going to call us as as sons. Look at the the last part of verse 15. Uh, I'll read the whole verse just in context, but 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Um, We have received the spirit of adoption, or spirit by, or we've received adoption by the means of the spirit. God has adopted us into his family. I I love that picture. Um, The the New International Version says it this way it says, You've been brought, uh, the spirit has brought about your adoption. We see right here this, that through the means of the Spirit, we have now been adopted by God. Um, and, and the Bible refers to that process of adopting as, as being born again, uh, re, rebirth, being born again. Um, I'm just cracking up. Um, we had ordered a, a little tub to do baptism in this week, and so it showed up to our house on Wednesday, and uh, uh, Christian came by to hang out for a little bit. And uh, as I, I had a lot of people say, um, I had a lot of people be like, "Oh, you see, so when I said that we were going to get a baptismal pool or whatever, they're like, "Oh, so you're getting a birthing tub." And I was I kept being like, "No, we're not getting a birthing tub." And then when I started to think about it, I was like, "Actually, it kind of is a birthing tub, right? A, a new birth, a picture of that new birth." So when Christian got there, I was like, "Hey man, can you help me carry in your birthing tub?" And he looked at me like, "What?" Um, but that's the picture is that when we are when we are brought in, when we were adopted by the Father, through the means of the Spirit, that we're born again. We're, we're born into His family. We're, we're a part of His family. And so we receive everything that a son would receive from the Father. We are no longer slaves, but we are now a son. A son. And this word here for adoption here in the Greek, um, it's two words. Um, the first word um, means son, and the second one is to place. So it literally means to place one as a son. That's the picture that Paul is is trying to help us to understand is that that we are being placed in God's family as a child of God. In fact, in John chapter 1 verse um, verse 12, uh, go into the next one. There we go. John chapter 12 verse 1, Jesus says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God right? So, so in coming into the family as believing in God and, and believing on his name and taking that name on and accepting him and following him in our lives, right? When we received that, we became the children of God. And so now we have a relationship just like we all have with, with a father, right? We have a relationship with our father and we've been adopted in by, by God. That's one of the, that's one of the distinguishing marks of Christianity. If you look at other world religions, Um, and the way that they relate to their God or their deity, right? It's always in the sense of this, there's this higher power, there's this God, and so me as a human just tries to appease that God. I just try to do as many good things, and I'm going to throw as many good things up that way, and then at the end of the day, if I do enough good things, then that God, that deity may accept me. Where Christianity looks down and says there's a loving God, Who realizes that i can't do enough good things and he adopts me in any way just on the basis of my faith and trust in him right and so now i'm received as a son and i'm received as a son if i believe and i put my faith and i trust in him that's the picture of of what christianity says and so now i've been adopted by this guy but but see even our present day understanding of adoption i think is a little bit off kilter um, you know, as, as most of you guys know, our family we're very familiar with the adoption process. We've adopted two sons um, over the last several years, um, and it's been a, it's been a great process, and um, it's it's been an incredible journey in our family, and it's it's molded us and shaped us in so many ways. Um, but our American view of adoption is is a little bit different. Um, in America, the way we look at adoption is we look at that and we say, "Oh, there's this uh, there's this poor child who's in need of a family." Um, A lot of times they've been through some very bad experiences. And so now as the adoptive parent, I'm going to come in and I'm going to basically make their life better. Um, And I'm going to pull them out of this poverty. I'm going to pull them out of this tough situation. And I'm going to adopt them. Um, And there's nothing wrong because most of the time that's the situation we live in. But in the Roman culture where Paul was writing the day that he was writing this, adoption was not viewed that way. Adoption was more of the process of choosing who would be the heir. Um, and so when someone, say, there was a wealthy person or a royal person or, or someone like that, and they didn't have a biological son, right, adoption became the process of who they would choose to be the heir, who would be the next either person to inherit all that they had or to be the next leader. And so it was this almost, it was, it was definitely this elevative idea of that adoptive son it wasn't viewed um i think maybe in our culture sometimes we kind of view the adopted children as okay you and we've even heard this oh okay so how many of those are yours and how many of those are what not mine like they're all mine i'm like five like what do you mean which one of those are mine right but in our culture i think we separate those and we say natural born children biological children here and then then adopted kids i mean they're just right there i mean they're real close but there's there's a little bit of a difference where in the Roman culture, where Paul's writing this, the idea is that you would actually elevate that adoptive person. And so I think that really plays into our understanding of what God meant. Uh, one of my favorite commentators is a guy named F.F. F. Bruce. Um, and if you're a Bible nerd um, and you've never read some F.F. Bruce, he's awesome. He is so dry and boring. Um, but I love what he has to say. He's just he's so... He's so smart, um, it's great. I could drink coffee and listen to him or, or read him all day. But here's what he says about this passage. He says, In the first century A.D., as an adopted son, uh, adopted son uh, was a son that was deliberately chosen by his adoptive parents uh, to, to continue on the name and to inherit a state or, or wealth. Um, and he was not inferior to uh, a son that was born of, of natural causes, um but he was a son that the son, that the father may enjoy and give his affection and that he may fully reproduce the father's character and i love that picture we see this this idea of adoption and being raised to adoption um, it wasn't just the status of man. Look at that poor, pitiful kid. But it was actually to the to the place of an inheritor, or or the status of an emperor, uh, elevation. And, and what's important for us to understand is that when we've been adopted by God, what does that mean? Well, it's not just that God looks at us as as those poor, pitiful humans, which which is part of it, right? He acknowledges that we couldn't get to Him without. His intervening grace and his and what he did for us, but he sees us now as sons. He sees us, as he's gonna say here in a minute, as co-heirs with Jesus, as his natural son, Jesus, as 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 the as as the son, he compares us to that status. And I think it's incredible. And so then so then Paul says that if that's happened, if we've been adopted through the Spirit, right, he says that that, that we should cry out this phrase, Abba Father. And this is an incredibly intriguing phrase here because what, what he does is he's, uh, the word Abba is actually Aramaic for, um, for father. Um, and then in, in, the original, in the original Greek, then he would have the word for father. And so it's almost like you're saying like father, father or daddy or papa. It's this very intimate phrase that would be used to refer to a dad. Um, and, and, uh, and I love that, that picture of that's how we should view our relationship with God is this intimate connection with our Father who loves us and who cares for us, this very personal connection that we now have with God. And so, and so what does that mean for us, right? Well, it means that our lives should be lived in that relational way with God. right? When we look at God, we shouldn't look at Him um, as, as this deity up there who we're just trying to please, but we should look at it through the lens of a relationship as a father, does with their child Um, kind of thought about it this way um, and I thought one of my kids would be up here um, so I'm not going to ask somebody else to come up here and hold my hand Um, I'm not going to make Elijah do it he's way too big Um, but think about this for a second right you have kids right and you're getting ready to go across the street and what's the first thing that you do you grab their hand right you grab why do you grab their hand because you want to protect them and because you know, at the core, they don't know what they're doing, right? They're going to run out into that street, right? Now, here's, here's the second way to look at it. Have you ever been to a theme park or something like Disney World, a music park or whatever, and seen the parents that have their kids on the leashes? You guys seen those? Like the, now they're a lot better. When I was a kid, they actually like went around you like a leash um, where they would strap you. Now they have these cute little book bags, so they've disguised it so it doesn't look quite to be what it is, right? <laughs> but have you ever seen the kids that are on the leashes, right, um, what are those kids doing? You ever seen them? What are they doing? They're pulling. They're pulling as hard as they can, right? Just trying to get. They're going to see how far they can pull, how much they can push against that, right? And I, as, we, as I was thinking about that, as we were talking about that this week, I just think about there's a difference in a relational holding of the hand. You know, if you're holding your kid's hand um, and you're getting her across, and, and they try to pull away, what do you do? You just give them a little squeeze, right? And that's all it takes, right? But there's this there's this other idea of of, man, when you're just on this leash and you're just trying to obey and the kids are just pulling as hard as they can, right? It's just the difference in the two ways that we relate with God. One system, I think the world system, is that picture of like, man, I'm just gonna try to please God as much as I can, but at the end of the day, he's got that leash and he's gonna pull me back, right? Because it's ultimately gonna be his way. Versus a relationship we have with a loving father that, yes, when we start to get off course, he gently guides us back on right through the spirit. And there's that relational connection. And I think that's the picture that Paul is, is painting here is that, that our relationship with God, right, should be seen of that as a father. We've been adopted into the family of God. And so we can call him father. We can call him daddy. We can, we can pray to him. Um, one of the books that we used to read our kids um, was called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and there's a there's a story in there where Jesus is 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 praying to the Father, and they use the, the instead of saying the word Father, they say Papa, right? Papa, Papa, as he speaks to them. And I think, man, is that where my relationship with God is? Is it to that point of intimacy, that closeness with God that I would call him Papa or Father? Because that's what Paul is telling us that it should look like. If we've been adopted in. Right? Then we cry out to him as our father. There's this relational connection that we should have. And then finally, the last characteristic is this. Is confident in the future. There's a confidence that we can have in the future. Look at verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Paul's painting this picture is saying that, you know what, if you have this relationship as as, as father and son, you can have confidence in your future. You don't have to, again, about, you don't have to live in fear and worry, but you can be confident of your future. And I've always been astounded at how many times as believers, there are believers that, that, that worry about that. They worry that there's something that we can do to lose that adoption that we have as sons of God and let me tell you there's not when we're adopted when we're his we're his for eternity he makes that promise to us because it's not based on what we did it's based on what he did and because God is never changing our status as sons of God never changes and so when we genuinely put our trust and our hope and our future in his hands then we're his and the Spirit then comes in and bears witness to that. The Spirit comes in as that confirmation that we're His, that we belong to Him. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, where he says this, By this you that we know that we abide in Him. How do you know that you're His and that you belong to Him? Well, He is in us because He has given us His Spirit. If we have the Spirit of God in us, if we have that conviction of the Spirit in our life, we can have confidence that we belong to God. First, Second uh, Corinthians one, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and He has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, the Spirit is the guarantee that we belong to Jesus; that we're God's until that day comes, until eternity. The Spirit is the seal or the promise. And so, so, so when you're talking, if you're ever talking to somebody and they say, yeah, I, I, I just don't know that I can, that I can have uh, assurance of my salvation, I always say, well, do you have the Spirit living in you, right? Do you feel that conviction of the Spirit? Because if you have the Spirit, he says that that is the seal, that is the promise that we are his. Finally, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed, right? You were sealed up with the promise Holy Spirit, Um, and you're sealed. And and the the idea of a seal is is like when you put a seal on something; it's not to be opened until it gets to its destination, right? And it's the same way in our lives. When we have the seal of the Spirit on our lives, that promise, that hope of being adopted as sons of God, and everything that's going to come along with that, we are sealed until we get delivered. Until that day that we're standing before our Father, right? That's that's what the Spirit does. He says, who is also your guarantee of our inheritance, right? Until we acquire possession of it. to the praise of his glory. And so we can have confidence about that. If I had time, I was going to draw this out, but, but I'll just mention it really quickly today. But I love the progression that Paul uses. He starts out by saying there's a point where we were slaves, right? But he said now we're no longer slaves, but we then adopted sons. And if we're adopted sons, then we're children of God. But he doesn't even stop there. He says But not only are you children of God, but now you're heirs, which means that you're going to inherit something from your father. And that inheritance that we have is eternal life. And I think that's an incredibly encouraging thing to think about that we have an inheritance, that we have a promise that's awaiting us one day. You see, as as those that have been bought in and, and paid for by the blood of Jesus, right, we should be looking to that future hope. And we should allow that future hope to impact our present reality. One of my favorite writers is a guy named C.S. Lewis. The guys are probably familiar with, with a lot of his work. One of the things he says, though, in context of this, he says this. He says, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those that we're most focused on the world to come. Think about that for a minute. If my hope and my future is in glory, and I know that that's security, my promise is in that, then that should radically affect the way that I live my life today, right? It shouldn't be lived for me because I know where my future is. I shouldn't be worried about my life and and just continuing on and trying to earn up things for myself, right? Because I know that that is not my inheritance, that my inheritance is, is coming, that something greater is coming down the road, right? And so then I should live my life radically different in the present world that I live in. And so we're called heirs. And not just heirs, but fellow heirs with Christ. We get the inheritance that Christ paid for us. When Christ came and died for our sins, right, and he was raised back up, now we're fellow heirs with him. But but Paul, Paul here at the end, though, wants to make sure that people get this right. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful that he ties in this, these last few words. He says, he says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Because I'll tell you, there is a growing um, belief system among Christians today that says, you know what? If you just trust God, if you put your faith in God and you follow God, everything in this life is going to be easy, <laughs> right? You're going to have money. You're going to have, st- God is going to bless you. If you will just trust God, He was going to pour out and to give you and to give you and to give you. And your life here is going to be the inheritance, right? That's the idea, is that life here is going to be wonderful. And I look at that and I say, where in the world do you find that in Scripture? Because when I read what Paul says, when I read what Jesus even said, it says that we're going to suffer for a little while. While we're here, we're going to go through some hard things. We were never promised that was life was going to be easy. But as co-heirs, as followers of Christ, we don't go it alone. I think that's the beauty in that, is that we go it with Jesus. Um, just real real quickly, real quickly, um, a few few places. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty four. 24. Um, Jesus said this. He said, um, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right, that idea of a cross is a, is a torture device, right? And so there's this idea of we're going to identify with Christ, we realize that we're going to suffer. Um, John 12, 25, Jesus says, Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. That doesn't sound like prosperity and wonderful things are going to happen, right? That's, that's looking for a future day. Um, then we have uh, Acts 14, It says, uh, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encourage them to continue in the faith and staying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Right, There's going to be hard things we're going to go through. Philippians 1, 29 and 30 says this, um, For it uh, has been granted to you uh, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have, right? There's going to be hard things that we go through. But as we go through those hard things, as we go through that suffering in our life, we don't go it alone. We go as Christ. One of the commentators said that suffering becomes the birthmark of a follower of Jesus, right? That we bear that suffering because our Savior bared the suffering for us. I think it's incredibly humbling. In fact, Paul, even in Galatians chapter 6 or 17, he says this. As he's finishing up the letters, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Right? We're going to suffer. We're going to go through things. But ultimately, we know that it's going to lead to something greater. Right? First to the cross, but then to the crown. There's coming a day that we can put our hope and trust in something bigger than ourselves. And that's where Paul finishes, and I think that's I think it's wonderful. And so, moving from here, Paul's going to talk about the future glory. What's it going to look like that day when we are adopted sons, and how do we live that out in our life? Um, but but for today, think about those four characteristics, right, in our lives, right? Are we radically, radically holy in our lives? Is that what we're pursuing? We're trying to live for. Um, do we do we live fearless in our freedom that we have, not as slaves but as sons, Are we relational? with our father and are we confident about our future and so in the time we have remaining in the next few minutes that we have actually we're over time but it's okay we're going to keep going um i want you guys just to take a few more minutes and to talk about that with some people around you think about those four characteristics that we just described right um and and which one of those um, describe you right? Which one of those can you see that you're living out in your life? Life. And if not, right, and then the ones that you're not, which ones do you need to work on? Which ones do you need to develop in your life? So there's the four characteristics, um, radical holiness, fearless and freedom, relational with our Father, and confident in the future. Do those describe you? And if not, right, which ones do you need to work on in your life? Um, And so let's take a few more minutes uh, just to talk about that uh, amongst ourselves, and then we will wrap up for the day.